Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. My name is Chris Chapitan. My wife Heidi and I and our five children have participated in the Antioch community since April of 2015. I first heard of and began following from a distance Christ Fellowship, now Antioch, and Jamie Miller in 2005. As a part of my own church planning training, I visited a Saturday morning 6 a.m. prayer meeting when the church offices were between I-20 and I-30 off of Hewland. Had no idea that people gathered at 6 a.m. to pray and jump around and get excited that early on a Saturday. And also had the great opportunity to visit uh, the church service on a Sunday morning when it was meeting at the Fort Worth Fine Arts Academy. It was during a wilderness season that Heidi and I were in that over fajitas at Papacitos in Arlington, after a lamentful conversation about our journey and our skepticism about plugging into a church body here or anywhere else, that about as gently as these words could be said, our friends said to us, after going on and on about the great things of Christ Fellowship, now Antioch, our friends said, would you just shut up and go there? And so we did, and here we are. On July 25th, Heidi and I will have been married for 22 years. I am a principal in Burleson ISD, and she is a special education teacher in the same district. And you're just now seeing the picture. Take it in. Take it in. I did not create that for this sermon, but posted it on Facebook about a year ago, which was more fun. Um, all right, so I'm a principal in Burleson ISD. Heidi is a special education teacher in the same district. In our adult life together, we have served in full-time ministry in a variety of roles, and we have participated as domestic church planters. For the last 10 years, I've worked in public education, and after 16 years of working in the home, Heidi returned to teach school this past school year. We have five children. Last month, Tori graduated from high school. Go Spartans! <laughs> She got a job at HEB. Waiting on that discount still, kid. Um, And received a two-year full scholarship to Hill College, where she will begin in the fall. Ryan is entering the youth group and will be a seventh grader at the school where I'm the principal. He loves every single moment of that. Hudson is entering fourth grade, and he loves the outdoors, as you can tell from this picture, and he also loves creating and typing out stories on his brand new typewriter. Thank you, granddad. So literally, like, we're at that point in the summer where we're like, just go to the other end of the house and pretend like you're asleep, because we're going to sleep anyway. It is that late in the evening, and y'all do what you do, and you hear... And that's Hudson typing out stories in the middle of the night on his new typewriter, which is really cool. Uh, Ava Grace will be in second grade. She loves to swim. She loves to go to garage sales with her mom. And she loves to pretend that she's 16. Um, Sam is our five-year-old. And he is a huge Luka Doncic fan. So big that if you follow my Instagram stories, you saw this week that Sam invited Luka to his birthday party, which will take place on May 21st, 2020. So we tagged Luka Doncic in a few posts. He did not view them. He did not respond. But we will remedy that and continue to spam Luka so he shows up in 2020. 
Sam will begin kindergarten in the fall, and Sam, Ava Grace, and Hudson will all attend the school that Heidi works at, which is great. And that is us. If you have heard me preach before, you might remember, you better remember, the legendary story of the front collision minivan warning. Maybe, a few nots. If you've heard me preach before, you may remember the story of the bumperless Ford F-150 journey to TCU with Lloyd Ekpo and James Albright, where the driver window would not roll down. So you know that today, although I'm not going to give you an intro story that has to do with a vehicle, I am going to give you an intro story. So... After 22 years of marriage, you know, I thought I'd seen it all. Like any other couple, we'd gone through some things, most of them my fault, and we've weathered them together, and now we're definitely in that season of marriage where we're reading each other's minds and finishing each other's sentences. However, just a few months ago, I was faced with a dilemma. Well, I got to be honest, I never saw it coming. It was a Saturday morning, and as most Saturday mornings go around our house, we were taking advantage of not having to set alarms, of sleeping in an extra hour and a half, and I'd quietly gotten up and ventured to the outside world in search of Starbucks and chocolate-glazed donuts, for the kids, of course, and upon returning to the house expecting it to be quiet, I found all six other members of my family speaking loudly, wide awake, and hanging out in my bedroom. Like a heroic hunter returning with the day's culinary plunder. Just let that settle. (laughs) Heidi does not like when I script portions of sermons, but I script them because I get lines just like that. Like a heroic hunter returning with the day's culinary plunder, I walked into the bedroom expecting an enormous ovation of my successful morning hunt, and I was greeted with piercing screams from all five children. However, like the rush of gale force winds from a summer afternoon Texas thunderstorm, the boxes of donuts were torn from my hands as the kids blew past me toward the kitchen table. After bracing myself and weathering the hurricane, I returned to a mostly standing position and approached Heidi, who was seated in the corner of the bedroom, as if she did not hear the tornadic activity that I had narrowly escaped. With confidence, she thrust her phone into my face and said, I want you to get a haircut just like this. Still reeling from the donut snatched out of my hands experience, I squinted. I attempted to use what I squinted my eyes. That's why I script too, because I get off script. I squinted my eyes to bring them into focus and muttered a faint, huh? Without moving the phone, she repeated, I want you to get a haircut just like this. And then she added, you've had the same haircut for almost 22 years, and I would like you to change it to this. I mean, don't you like it? As the picture on the screen slowly came into focus, I vaguely remembered that we had discussed that this morning I would take myself and Ryan and Hudson and Sam for haircuts. 
while still processing that reality and with the picture on the screen coming into ever increasing focus, I began the following inward dialogue. What? Where is this coming from? Is there something wrong with my hair? I mean, who are you to tell me to get a haircut? Hold up. The dude in this picture you're showing me ain't ugly either. Plus, he's probably 15 years younger than me. What are you trying to say? What if I like my hair the way it is? And come to think of it, I don't want to look at the picture of this dude anymore. However, before any of that inner dialogue could creep from my head to my mouth, I responded with several questions, kind of faking my intrigue. Hmm, is that a slow fade up to the sides? Is that what they call a hard part? How would a stylist make that? So on top, I would go with more of a comb over and less of a full spike. Then after a brief conversation, she looked at me with those puppy dog eyes and she said, so you'll give it a shot? It would really make me happy. It was in that moment that courage welled up inside of me. After nodding an affirmation, I left the room, pulled the boys away from their morning meal, and with chocolate still on their faces, we peeled out of the driveway on a quest for haircuts. Upon returning home to showcase my new hair, Heidi was happy, and I was happy. In fact, it wasn't but a few weeks later that Jamie Miller actually positively remarked about this haircut on stage at Antioch during a Sunday morning service. It was in that moment that I knew, indeed, I had made the right choice. I had found the courage to embrace this new haircut. Aren't there so many things in our lives that require courage? And that really is the topic of our conversation today. But rather than defining what courage is, or even even talking so much about what courage looks like, although we will, the question that I want to raise is where does courage originate? Where does courage come from? Well, that concludes the scripted part of the sermon. So now we'll just see what happens, (laughs) which brings me to the main thing. The courage to live it out in love comes from being with Jesus. I'll say that again. The courage to live it out in love comes from being with Jesus. In a few moments, we're going to check out Acts chapter four, verses one through 13. But before we get there, I want to talk briefly about two lies that the accuser tells us to distract us from finding courage from being with Jesus. The first lie that the accuser tells us is that it's got to be about performance. If we perform and we continue to, quote, get better and better and try harder and harder and perform more and more, it is then that we will, through our own determination and grit and bootstraps, discover our own courage because courage was within us the whole time. In my work as a school principal, this is a daily reality. In the state of Texas, public schools take something called the STAR test. 
They take it in math. They take it in reading. They take it in science. They take it in social studies. They take it in third grade and fifth grade. Can I get a seventh grade and a ninth grade? I didn't do that in the first service. That was a bonus. Um, we take all kinds of star tests in the state of Texas in public schools. And as a school principal, there is a heavy weight that I carry in regards to the performance of my students, the performance of my school. And I don't even need the school district to put that burden on me. I do a good job of putting that burden on myself just fine. And so when I'm operating out of that performance mindset or that performance way of life, the scores from two years ago aren't good enough. The scores from last year aren't good enough. The scores from this year, eh, they're okay, but next year they better be better. I've actually had people tell me that they can see and hear in my countenance and speech when the weight of performance in regards to star tests in particular is heavy on me. The accuser wants to distract us with the lie of performance. Now, there's also the other side of that coin, right? That's the lie of worthlessness. I'm unworthy. I'm not good enough. I find that in my job too. Here's what they didn't tell me. They didn't tell me that when I went from teacher to assistant principal, all the things that made me good at being a teacher weren't going to help me be a good assistant principal. They didn't tell me that. So my first semester of being an assistant principal was like, who am I? What am I doing? And how did I end up here? They didn't tell me that all the things that made me a good assistant principal were going to make me, were not going to make me a good principal. So as I got good at doing the assistant principal thing and then made the transition to the principal thing, they didn't tell me that I was going to have to learn a whole new set of skills. And I found myself again asking, who am I? What am I doing? And how did I end up here? The accuser lies to us about performance and about unworthiness or worthlessness. And let's be real about that. We find that in public schools. We find that in our jobs, but we find that in the church too. The reason I tell you the story about Papacitos and about our friends saying, shut up and go to church there is because I was wrestling with performance. For almost 20 years, Heidi and I had never been a part of a church for our, for our adult life of 20 years. We had never been a part of a church where we actually weren't either on staff or part of her family who had gone to church at a particular church for years. Antioch was the first church that we literally stepped into not knowing very many people, and we had to make friends and get involved and plugged in at a church that we didn't work at and that we didn't have family at. And looking back, that was a challenge, especially as I was wrestling through my own tendency to perform. I mean, is this group of people uh, going to accept us? I have to perform to make sure that that acceptance is there. Uh, so I have to get involved in certain things and I have to do things a certain way and I have to make sure that on a Sunday when I'm not feeling it, at least on the outside, I look like I'm feeling it. These are the kinds of things going through my mind as we're making that transition. But then there's also the other side of that coin within the church, right? That, that worthlessness or that unworthiness. Like, yeah, we were involved in church planning, but our church didn't make it. 
so what do I really have to offer? I mean, in May of 2011, we had to, quote, close the doors of the church. And so what do I really have to offer this body or any other when it comes to evangelism and mission? These are our lies that, that the evil one is attempting to distract me with during that time. Or maybe it's, you know, I could never go to the other side of the world to participate in that. Or I don't have a story like so-and-so has a story. And so those lies continue to, to fester and attack us and sway us from participating in the mission of God that Jesus has called us to and invited us into. So we even find performance and unworthiness or worthlessness active um, in the church. But thank the Lord, there is good news. I said, thank the Lord that there is good news. So we're going to go to Acts 4 and we're going to find some of this good news. And really what I want to do is highlight some of the ironies that we find in Acts 4 so we can see where our story and the story of Peter and John and the story of Jesus come together. So Acts 4 verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the disciples were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So I'm going to give you some, isn't it ironic? <laughs> isn't it ironic that the religious leaders who had the power and the authority were greatly disturbed when Peter and John were the guys following the Messiah who had died? So if anybody should be greatly disturbed, although in this moment they're proclaiming the resurrection, it should be the ones who were following Jesus, who at least from the outside appeared to not be all the things he claimed to be. But instead, it is the religious leaders who are the ones in this story who are disturbed. Moving on, verse 3. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Isn't it amazing that the religious leaders attempted to seize and put in jail those who were actually free? Because Peter and John are in fact not following a dead Messiah or one who claimed to be a Messiah who did not end up being so, but instead they are following one who defeated death and who resurrected to live again. And so there's the irony of the religious leaders attempting to seize them when in fact they are free. There is also the irony of the religious leaders attempting through seizing them to stop their movement. But in the midst of oppression... In the midst of, of attempting to hold them back, many who heard the message believed and many who believed grew. So in the face of resistance and opposition, the kingdom of God continues to grow. Verse five, the next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest was there. And so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? Isn't it ironic that the ones with the power, the ones with the name, are asking the uneducated fishermen, by what power and by what name did you do this? Hold up, you're the ones with the title. You're the ones with the seat. You're the ones with the place in the religion and the government. You don't know the name or the power, but you're the one with the name and the power. Ironic. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 8, said to them, 
rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Isn't it ironic that the that Luke highlights Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit. I, I can't help but think about Peter and John like just a few chapters prior in the Bible, right? There's this story about them arguing over who is the greatest. There's this story about them being locked behind closed doors for fear of the religious authorities. And here in Acts 4, they're not concerned with which of them is the greatest, They're not concerned with the fact that they're standing before the religious authorities proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus and the healing of this man as a result. But instead, they are literally on fire for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And I'm left thinking, Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, how is this possible? This is a different guy than than what we saw in some of those latter chapters of the gospel. And I'm left to conclude that the reason Peter and John are so different in Acts 3 and Acts 4 and Acts 5 and the rest of Acts, it's because of Acts 2. Their encounter with the Holy Spirit, the wind, the fire, the tongues, the whole deal, descends upon them and fills them in the room. And now they are different people. They are different people because in that moment and the subsequent moments from there, they have asked and received the promises of Jesus and their courage is very literally coming from him. Okay, so this whole act of kindness, if we are being, verse nine, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, the irony of the kindness of God toward one who is lame. The religious authorities in this story are attempting to oppress. They're attempting to seize Acting in the name of God, they are attempting to halt with coercion and with power over and with dominance. And here, the true Jesus followers are participating with God in this act of kindness to one that would be least expected, to an outcast, to a cripple, to somebody on the outskirts, literally, of the gate. All right, so we've also got the people with the names and the titles and Peter and John proclaiming Jesus as the name above all names. The stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. All right, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. The irony that in their attempts to make things right with power and domination and coercion and seizing and stopping, Jesus was in fact, through an act of kindness, making things right, bringing about salvation, demonstrating and acting the kingdom of God. And there is no other name. There is no other name that brings heaven and earth together. 
Because when heaven and earth collide in Jesus, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame jump and walk and praise, and ordinary, uneducated people, ordinary, everyday folks, like fishermen, like you, and like me, change the world. Change the world. Why? Because they've been with Jesus. So what does that look like for a middle school principal? Well, I'll give you two stories. I mentioned Star earlier, and it's, it's real. Like, I feel the weight of it. A lot of it I put on myself, but it's real. Uh, so as a, as a middle school principal, um, right before we take the test, here's what I do. I come on the announcements, right? 600 kids, all the staff, the whole school is about to take this test. I come on the announcements, and I say things like this. I say, students, good morning, Mr. Chapman here. I just want you to know this morning that you are loved, that you are cared for, that you have been, have been trained and taught and supported, that hope has been poured into you, and that we think you are just the greatest. And because of all of that, because of the security of your identity in the educational experience that you've received here, you're free. You are free to give your best on this test. And if you score great, we're still going to love you. And if you score not so great, we're still going to love you. You are cared for, treasured, and cherished. So be free to give your best. Teachers, be free. You're going to feel like your performance is tied to the performance of 12-year-olds. But I know, and you know, that you've loved them and you've cared for them, and you've treasured them, so be free. Be free to give your best effort. Another way, so this past week, uh, I was in the office early. I was getting stuff done. I was in like that mode of churning things out, and I had places to be and people to meet with and stuff to do. And so I ran by the office to print some stuff, and Miss Maria was already there. Ms. Maria is our, our lead custodian. She was working in the office, cleaning, et cetera. And I'm, I'm on this mission. Hey, Ms. Maria, what's going on? Try print, all right, all this stuff. And I got my papers and I'm headed for the door and Ms. Maria steps right up to me. And I'm thinking in my mind like, Maria, I love you, I gotta go. And Maria says to me, hey, she's, she's never had a conversation with me like this. She says, hey, would you pray for me and my friends? And Maria says, uh, some friends of ours have a son who's in the military. He was killed in some kind of military exercise. They're shipping, um, they're, they're sending his body back um, the next day and they're, they're distraught and, and they're hurting and they're in need of comfort. Would you, would you pray, uh, join me in praying for them? And, you know, I'm, I'm just sitting there like, wow. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for letting me know. I will pray um, for you and for your family friends. Have a great day. And I left. I left and I'm walking down the hall and I open the door and I step outside and I get in my car and the Holy Spirit was like, hey, uh, I mean, I'm just the Holy Spirit and all, but (laughs) aren't you preaching on courage Sunday? And I was like, 
I think so. And I started the car <laughs> and I drove away and I drove around the corner and I parked the car and I got back out of the car and I walked back into school. Maria's still in the office doing her thing. And I'm like, hey, Maria, you, you want to do that right now? And she was like, yeah, that would be awesome. And so 7 a.m. on Thursday morning, we were praying in the school office uh, for healing and for comfort and for peace and for the Lord to reveal himself in the midst of, of tragedy and sorrow. Um, so a couple small examples um, of how as a, a school principal, I have the opportunity to, to live it out in love. Now, also, I, I, I share life with someone who's got an amazing story of how uh, finding courage from Jesus to live it out in love really took shape um, here this past January. So, if you would, please welcome to the stage Mrs. Heidi Chapleton. Okay, so um, when Chris asked me to share... Um, it was kind of, I was just thinking, he was like, just find a story that you can share about courage. And um, after, like he mentioned earlier, um, I was home um, for 15 years, taught school after college, was home for 15 years, um, being a mom. And um, obviously there's a lot, of, a lot of courage stories I could tell in that. But this last year, I just felt this stirring. Um, and it, it all started with, I was cleaning the bathroom one day, which like, I like to clean, but I was scrubbing the toilets and I was like, I started weeping. I was like, I can do more than clean toilets. And I just felt like the Lord was like, just stirring in me this passion to go back. Um, I was ready to be around adults too, and like have adult conversation every day. Um, thoroughly and, and wouldn't trade those years, thoroughly enjoyed those years, but the Lord was just calling and kind of placing something in front of me and, and it started stirring up just a passion um, to, to really live it out in this, in this world of education again. So renewed all my certificates, fast forward, um, I uh, finished that at the end of the school year and there were no job openings for a teacher position at my kids' school. I didn't want to change them that close to the beginning of school. But the principal called and said, hey, there's a paraprofessional job, like a teacher's aide. I said, hey, I'll take it. This is a great way to kind of get my feet wet again. Um, wasn't looking for another job. But a neighbor of mine said, hey, did you notice there's a third grade opening at a school about a mile from the school that I was at? And I said, no, I didn't, but let me look at it. And I just kind of, it, it, it's sort of out of character for me. I, I like order. I, I don't love change. Um, and going back to work was a big change, was change enough for me for one year. But I just, it kind of, something in me was stirring. And so after talking, praying, talking with Chris, I said, hey, let me at least just put my resume out there. So I, I saw the job posting on a Monday. And, and this was in January. Yes, this is in the middle of January. Um, saw the job opening on Monday sent in my resume on Tuesday. They called me for an interview on Wednesday. Wednesday night, they called and said, it's yours if you want it and you start Monday. And I literally was just like, what am I doing? I said, hold on, hold on. I've got to hear from the Lord before I do anything. <clears throat> I, I tend to be like Chris, more of a performer. Like I can do this, you know, like we're, we're typically sort of driven people that are always like, okay, we can do this. I can do this in my own strength. Surely I have what it takes to do this. But I knew, like walking into a star grade, speaking of star again, um, in a school that's really, really a tough school, 
um, I knew that what I would be stepping into was more than what I could handle. So I was sitting in the same corner. Uh, we have a chair. I wasn't like sitting in the corner, which kind of <laughs> sounds weird. But we have a chair and a little table and lamp. So I'm sitting in that corner. That's kind of my happy, quiet place. And um, I was like, Lord, I have to hear from you. This is such a, this is a decision that literally in education, decisions have to be made like this because they need to move on. They need this spot filled. And I am sitting in the corner um, and I'm just praying, Lord, I have to hear from you. And very clearly I heard the Lord say, I did, I do not call my people to do easy things. And I was just kind of like, Oh, and you know, when you just as a side note, when you hear like a really clear word from the Lord, it's oftentimes because you're going to have to cling to that because it's going to be hard. And so I just peace washed over me and I was like, okay. And he does, he does not call us to do easy things. And I thought this is a perfect way for me to really get to live out kingdom life. So called started, I mean, literally our whole lives changed. I had to get my classroom ready. Um, from on that Friday, I had from Friday until Monday to just get everything done. Um, so fast forward a little bit, I, I get in to the classroom on that first Monday and I literally, I came home. I think I cried every night at least for a week, if not two. I mean, it was overwhelming. The situations that these kids were dealing with at home is beyond anything that I could have imagined. And therefore, you see that behavior come out in the classroom. This class was out of control. They weren't, there, was no, there wasn't a lot of learning going on because of all of the, the, the behavior that was, um, that was manifesting in that room. Um, and so this was, I, I remember just, I would cling to that. Okay, Lord, you didn't call me to do easy things. I have got to rest in you. There, there was not enough courage. There was not enough creativity, strength, anything in me to be able to do what needed to be done. So, um, as I rested in him, um, those tears began to dry up and they, um, we began to just, it, one of the, just some simple ways that it happened, um, just partly because I couldn't sleep very well, but I had a lot of extra time with the Lord in the night and in the mornings I would wake up well before my alarm because things were going on in my head. How can I do this? How can I connect with this kid? How can I get this kid to get this multiplication that just isn't settling right, you know, just all of these um, things in my mind kept me from sleeping. But it also was a chance for me to really rest in the Lord and hear from him. Um, and, we be- and I began to see change. Just, I mean, simple things like praying over my room, in particular certain seats. Um, and and my, my prayer was that as kids entered my room, they encountered Jesus. They encountered his love and his grace and his peace and his joy. And where there was none of that at home, when they came to my room, they encountered Jesus and acceptance. And so I'm going to give a quick story just um, to finish out my part. But the, the tears that began at the beginning of what did I do? I cannot do this. Um, at the end of the school year, it was tears of, what am I going to do when I don't get to see them every day? Like, I had fallen in love with them. Um, and just one quick story. Um, one of my students, um, who literally the words out of the student's mouth were, I hate school. I hate everything. I hate you. Um, towards the end of the year, it's amazing what God can do when we trust in him. This is, again, I started in the middle of January. This is probably the middle of May. Um, the, the, this child and 
uh, and the partner were working. It's amazing, even it's a miracle in and of itself that he was able to work with the partner. But they're working, and I'm just monitoring the room, walking around, and I hear the other student, the partner, like, oh, I can't wait for summer. We're going to do this and do that. And I hear this student, um, he doesn't know that I'm there. I hear this student say, oh, not me. I love school. And I literally just just broke. I had to walk away so that I, I wouldn't cry and the kids wouldn't be like, what's wrong? But to just see that when we rest in Jesus, when we find our courage in Jesus, we're able to live out in love and live out things that are far beyond what we can do in our own strength. And just, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to share some of these stories is just, what is God calling you to do? What is, what is a dream or a promise that he's put in your heart that you think, I can't do this, I don't have the courage. We wanted to share just some simple stories to say, you can do it when you rest in him. I love the song, like, all of his promises are yes and amen. When he has a promise or something for you to do, he always has the provision to see it through. Awesome. Whether it was religious authorities in Acts chapter 4 or people in a middle school or students in Heidi's class, when they saw the courage, they recognized that these are people who've been with Jesus. So as we stand together, worship team, ministry team, if you would, please come forward. What is it that the Lord is stirring within you? What is it that the Lord wants to do through you as further expansion of the kingdom of God. The courage to do those things comes from being with Jesus. So maybe this morning, that is the next step. The next step is, I want to follow this Jesus. I want to follow this person in which we see heaven and earth collide together. And I'm not, I'm not sure how to do that. I need courage to take those steps. And so you, you turn to Jesus and you turn to, to friends who will pray and you ask and you receive. Maybe, maybe it's courage to, to take that next step across the street. We talk a lot about going to the nations as we should. Let us also continue to talk about, about going to our neighbors, about hospitality, about building communities in our neighborhood about representing Jesus around the tables in our homes to spread his love. If that's the courage that you need to step out and introduce yourself to your neighbor, Jesus stands before you saying, ask and receive. Maybe, maybe the courage is just something brand new, something that when you look at yourself in the mirror, you think I could never do that, right? Like it's that, that unworthiness or that worthlessness. I could never do that. Today, The courage to do that comes from being with Jesus and he stands before you saying, ask and receive. Maybe it's performance. I can figure this out. Great Bible story. Peter and John, that's cool. Wow, you taught school, impacted kids. Neat, I can do this. I guess my question to you would be, when does that stop? Because just with the star scores, like when are my scores good enough that I'm okay with myself? Like, when are my scores good enough that I'm secure in my own identity? In and of myself, they'll never be good enough. So in my performance, I turn to Jesus and I ask and receive, finding the courage and identity in Him. 
Wherever it is that you are this morning, we're going to spend these next few minutes. If you would, come forward for prayer. Pray with those around you as we reflect and sing together.